You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show, I need you to subscribe to Locked On Mets on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, don't forget, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. Alright, so I am about as excited for this podcast as I have been since our launch a little over a month ago. As today we debut our first guest, Tim Healy, the Mets beat writer for Newsday. Had a great conversation with him today. I'll actually be breaking up that interview across the rest of the podcast this week. So you'll get a part of that today, a part on Thursday, and another part on Friday. But that is going to air in the second half of the podcast today. And in the first half, I get to talk about really an incredible back-and-forth game between the Mets and the Padres as the Mets were able to even up this series at one game apiece. But first, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, go ahead and you can check me out on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. Now getting into tonight's baseball game, you had the Mets after another horrible loss to the Padres. It was their fourth consecutive loss. They were trying to bounce back from that in this game. And the way that Mickey Callaway tried to spark what has been a dormant offense is by changing the lineup around a little bit. For a majority of this season, 1-2-3 has been Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso batting second, and then Robinson Cano. And he flipped things around today, moving Ahmed Rosario all the way up into the two-hole. Rosario, of course, has hit near the bottom half of the lineup for most of this season. You had Jeff McNeil batting leadoff still. Robinson Cano stayed in the three-hole, and then they moved Pete Alonso to maybe a more natural cleanup position for a guy with his power and run production capabilities. So we saw it pan out right away, as these things tend to do in baseball. In the first inning, Jeff McNeil led off the game with a double. Rosario comes up, gets a base hit, scores Jeff McNeil. And I will say real quick that I think a two-hole might be a nice spot for Ahmed Rosario as he is somewhat of a free swinger, so you put him in the two-hole, he can maybe get some good pitches to hit with Robinson Cano behind him for protection. I think that might be a nice spot for Rosario. And then from there, Robinson Cano comes up to the plate. He had actually been sitting on hit number 2,499 for 16 at-bats, had gone hitless in all of them, and he finally comes through here, rips one that looks like it was going to go out, but... It ends up one-hopping over the wall for hit number 2,500 on Robinson Cano's career. He joins Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols as the only active players to have reached that mark. And it ends up just being the first of what turned into a four-hit day for Cano as that pressure of trying to get to 2,500 was finally off him. He was able to find a bunch of holes from that point on. Great night for Robinson Cano. Pete Alonso got his great night started in the first inning as well as he got a base hit, which would score Ahmed Rosario. But this is a game for the Mets where they could have won more handedly. There was some opportunities that were left, and a perfect example of this 
was Robinson Cano being on third base after that hit from Pete Alonso with no outs, and the Mets failed to get him in. You got to get a runner in from third base with no outs. It's as simple as putting the ball in play. You hit into a double play, and you get a run in. So that's that was a pretty big mistake by the Mets. They end up winning the game so it doesn't cost them. And then in the bottom half of that same first inning, Ahmed Rosario's yips or whatever's going on with him throwing the baseball continues. And it cost the Mets a run as another error allowed that run to score. And it was the first of many runs given up by Noah Syndergaard in a really rough night. So Syndergaard had pitched great his last time out. He had a complete game shutout. Everything looked great for him. Coming into today, you had to wonder how he was going to respond to having so much success in the prior start. And he just didn't. He did not pitch great. He got hit around pretty good. A lot of hard hit baseballs. Allowed two more home runs as he continues to be plagued by the long ball early on in this season. Ends up giving, and actually there's another one now I'm thinking about it that was just mere feet from going out. So it could have been even worse. He ends up giving up nine hits, five runs. Of course, the one unearned from Rosario, but not a great night for Noah Syndergaard. I guess the only positive you can take is he was able to get them through six innings. Some other guys this year haven't been able to get them that far in their bad start. So I guess give him credit there. And luckily, the Mets were able to come back in the game. In the seventh inning with them down 5-2, to two, they had another great rally here. Jeff McNeil let it all off with a walk. Ahmed Rosario doubled. And then Pete Alonzo picks up another RBI with a base hit. But this was a situation where Ahmed Rosario kind of gets let off the hook. But it was a horrible base running situation there as Rosario is sitting there on second base. The ball is hit right at him. But what Rosario did not know is that there was no one behind him. So a simple glance back at any point in Pete Alonso's at bat, look of your peripheral vision, whatever you have to do, you have to know where the defense is playing you, especially when you're in scoring position, especially when you represent the tying run. He doesn't do that. He freezes and actually retreats back to the base, thinking there's a shortstop behind him and cannot score on the play. So that was a bad mistake by Rosario he gets kind of let off the hook as Michael Conforto got him home with the sack fly so it's kind of a moot point but you still want Rosario to be more heads up in spots like that anyway as the inning proceeded Wilson Ramos came up again the game's at 5-4 at this point he draws a walk which puts him on first base and Pete Alonso on second base with two outs in the seventh inning And my gut reaction is, okay, cool, you know, touch first base Ramos, but you're not going to be in this game much longer. They're going to get a pinch runner out there, and they could have used Keon Broxton. They even could have used Tomas Nito because while he doesn't run great, he runs a lot better than Ramos. And why are you keeping Ramos in the game at this point? At most, he's going to get another at bat, but you really want him as the winning run to be able to score on an extra base hit, and he just can't do that. He's a station-to-station guy. So the Mets, I thought Callaway should have clearly taken him out. Tomas Nito, also probably superior defender at this point too, so that helps your defense if you just sub Nito into the game. And my skepticism ended up proving correct as Brandon Nimmo hits a double. Ramos can't score. 
They now have runners on second and third with a tie baseball game and Todd Frazier up. And he strikes out looking with two men in scoring position. So sure, you'd like to see Frazier get a big hit there and, and again kind of save Callaway the same way that Conforto saved Rosario. But that's a spot I think you really need a pinch runner. So again, I guess you can't criticize it too much. The Mets still get the win at the end of the day. But that was something that struck me as a bad decision by Mickey Callaway. Anyway, Seth Lugo was great in relief after Noah Syndergaard came out. He pitched two excellent scoreless innings, and he is really starting to thrive. If you remember at the start of the year, Seth Lugo was dealing with, it seemed like everyone was, a flu. There was some sickness going on that that was kind of used as an excuse for why he was pitching so poorly at the start of the year. But now you look at his numbers since April 22nd, and he has yet to allow another run. 10 and a third scoreless innings pitched at this point. So Seth Lugo becoming one of the most reliable weapons out of that Mets bullpen. Now moving on to the ninth inning, Robinson Cano comes up. Last at bat of his big night, leads things off with a single. And then Pete Alonso comes up and Alonso hits a complete moonshot home run 449 feet off of that Western oil or whatever, the Western minor thing they have in left field. In San Diego, anyway, huge shot, two-run home run, gives the Mets a 7-5 lead. Pete Alonso, kind of after all of the drama with Chris Paddock the day before, tried to maybe show him up a little bit with a bat flip. Doesn't work out because of the pine tar on his glove. The bat almost boomeranged into the umpire's head. So not a good look for Alonso, but the home run was a great look. Once again, this guy is not only performing, but he seems to perform better from the seventh inning on when the Mets really need to get those runs across. Another essential game-winning RBI for Pete Alonso. Great work by him. And then Edwin Diaz came in in the ninth inning, and while it was not pretty, as he did get to a situation where it was bases loaded, one out, he made his way through. He struck out Eric Hosmer in a big spot, and then he was able to get a ground ball to finish the game. And actually... The ground ball found the one infielder that the Mets had to be concerned with, which is Ahmed Rosario. He fielded it. He didn't even look that comfortable making that play. I definitely think there's a lot of psychological things going on with the errors he has made. But he luckily got the runner out at second base. Edwin Diaz picks up his ninth save. In a game that could have gone either way, the Mets were able to hang on. If they had lost that game, it would have been a devastating and probably a pivotal loss in their season. So it's great for them to get a win, get some confidence under their belt, and hopefully they can kind of roll into a little bit of a better stretch here in the coming days. Anyway, when we get back, I will play that first part of my interview with Tim Healy, the Mets beat writer for Newsday. Stay tuned for that. Remember, though, to get this show every day, I need you to subscribe to Locked on Mets on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked On Mets. All right, Mets fans, very excited to bring in the first guest in the history of Locked On Mets, Tim Healy, Mets beat writer for Newsday. Tim, very excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. And why don't you uh, let the listeners know where you can find some of your work, where they can find you on Twitter, all that. Sure, sure. So, I, of course, I'm the Mets beat writer for Newsday, as you mentioned. So anybody can find my stuff at Newsday.com and more specifically Newsday.com slash Mets. On Twitter, my handle is Tim B. Healy. That's T-I-M 
B is in boy, H-E-A-L-E-Y. So between those two places, uh, hopefully you should be kept pretty up to date on all things, man. That's great. So uh, first things first, I wanted to talk about the most recent injuries to the rotation. Uh, what's your sense on how long it's going to take to get Steven Matz and Jason Vargas back into the rotation? For Matz, it seems like it could be as soon as this weekend or early next week if things go well. The Mets decided not to put him on the injured list because that would be minimum, you know, I think seven days if they backdated it. So at this point, at least, as we talk, you know, Tuesday morning, they're somewhat optimistic that it won't even be that long, which is good news for Mets given his long injury history and, you know, that long injury history, including some nerve trouble a couple of years ago that required surgery. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, you know, an issue that you don't hear a lot about radial nerve irritation. Um, I can't even really tell you what that is besides, uh, it gives you some weird sensations in your forearm and hand. Yeah. Which, so that's seemed to be important. <laughs> what, yeah. What Go ahead. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember. I don't know if it's necessarily this injury. I remember the last time he had a nerve issue. I remember him saying he couldn't feel his hand. So obviously, if you can't feel your hand as a pitcher, it's going to be hard to execute right. your stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and that, that sounded more serious. That was uh, the end of the 17th season. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. required surgery in August, I believe. Um, and then for Vargas, it, it, it's hard to tell at this point. He's on the DL, but the minimum of 10 days. But the Mets with off days Thursday and Monday don't mm-hmm. need a fifth starter again till Saturday, May 18th in Miami. So th- there was a decent chance Vargas was going to get skipped anyway because of the two off days in quick succession. Um, so I'm not sold that the hamstring issue is actually that serious. Okay. The Mets didn't say how serious it is. It sounds like he didn't get an MRI though. Um, so I would I would suspect it's not that big of a deal, maybe penciling back in for that, that Miami series. And that's penciling in by me, not not necessarily by the team. Uh, but if you can reintroduce him against a, a bad lineup like the Marlins, yeah. uh, probably all, probably good for Big ballpark, ball. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, also, so I wanted to talk about Wilmer Font. Obviously, they just traded for him yesterday. What's your impressions on what they expect out of Font? Uh, well, he hasn't actually reported the team yet. That's going to happen today, Tuesday. So I haven't gotten a chance to talk to him at all or anything. But, I mean, yeah, you know, a lot like they say about teams, you are what your record says you are. When you're yeah. a pitcher, you're pro- your record is probably close to what you <laughs> what you are. And in, this, in Wilmer Flan's case, he's about to be 29. He's never had anything more than fleeting major league success. Yeah. Uh, so... I mean, the Rays were going to dump him. He had almost a 6 ERA in the first, you know, going on quarter of the season. He only pitched in 10 games for them, but uh, yeah. he's having a bad year for the Rays, and the Mets essentially pick him off the scrap heap. He does throw reasonably hard. Mickey Callaway was really talking up his, his quote-unquote stuff and his ability to perform in multiple roles. So the Mets really like relievers who can go multiple innings, mm-hmm. they can make a spot start if necessary. So... Uh, Wilmer Font is out of options, so he has to stick with the Mets. Yeah, but which is bad, why he left the Rays, right? Exactly, yeah. If he's bad, the Mets can easily cut him because they don't have very much invested in him at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's what I kind of thought. I, I, what I actually, my gut reaction to it was, you know, here the Mets have the new analytical department. Maybe they see some hidden value in Font. But then I also countered that by saying, 
the Rays have, you know, maybe the best analytical department in baseball. They're right. sitting at the top of the AL East with a $50 million payroll. So, you know, what, what could the Mets see that the Rays don't? So I, I kind of just, exactly. yeah, I look at it as like a lottery ticket, you know, maybe he's successful, but he might not be on the team next week. <laughs> right. Exactly. Just, just, just a flyer on a guy kind of, you know, not a lot of risk, not seemingly not a lot of upside, but I guess you never know. Yeah. I'm yeah. desperate at this point. Exactly. Um, another roster move that happened uh, last week, uh, Danny Echevarria coming up and uh, the Mets demoting Dominic Smith. This was a move more about Echevarria than Smith. Am I correct on that? That's definitely correct. Yeah, it was a real tough call by the Mets to send Smith down, but when it came down to it, they decided they wanted to keep a Danny Echevarria, who could have opted out of his minor league contract with the Mets unless he was in the majors. So they valued preserving that organizational depth, having a second shortstop on the major league roster, which they haven't always had this season. And Dominic Smith, unfortunately for him, was just the the odd odd man out. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't happy about it. Uh, I suspect he'll be back at some point. But the Mets are getting into a little bit of a roster crunch here. Jed Lowry is going to come back sometime in the next week, week and change. Uh, and then the Mets are going to have another tough roster decision to make and, you know, it yeah. could be Cam Brocks, and it could be Echeverria again. Uh, there, there aren't really a lot of easy answers there, but Danny Echeverria and his handful of days with the Mets has, has frankly, been been impressive. Yeah, he has. Really, he's never hit in the majors, but he's always been very good defensively. And, you know, when you're, when the other shortstop is Ahmed Rosario and the strange defensive issues he's been having, uh, it's it's uh, a breath of fresh air to see a shortstop making a reasonably – hard play with ease and fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just thought that play in the hole he made last night where he just made it look so easy with the strong throw and everything. I was just like, wow, it's, it's a big difference there. Yeah. And I, 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 I wonder too, I mean, you know, my impression of the move was, you know, the cost to acquire another shortstop had Echeverria taken a deal elsewhere throughout the season would have been, you know, way more steep than just bringing him on. But at this point, you don't have any options on Echeverria, I believe. So, is he basically going to be on the roster for the rest of the season, you would think? Uh, I mean, since he, they got the purchase the contract? I don't expect that uh, at this point. Okay. Uh, with, it, his contract is a little unusual in that uh, it essentially functions as a, a two-way deal. And that's okay. And outright him to the minors. Um, so he, uh, he, his money, his $3 million base salary prorated, is not guaranteed at this point. Uh, oh, okay. So the, the Mets have some flexibility there, a little more flexibility than you normally do with a player who has no minor league option. Okay, and actually, just since we're talking about options, one thing I was trying to look up the other day, does Keon Broxton have any more options left? Keon Broxton has no minor league options, which is one reason he was available um, from the Brewers. So, you know, alluding to the Jed Lowry situation that's looming, uh, that that's going to be one of their options. Do they, you know, get you know, move on from Cam Brockton so quickly after training for him, or do they, uh, you know, maybe send down a Javria or JD Davis, who they really like, especially against left-handers. Um, so yeah, Cam Brockton's not been very good this season. Doesn't have any options, which uh, leaves Mets with no good options. All right, so that was part one of, again, a three-part interview with Tim Healy. You'll get the next part of that on tomorrow's show. 
I do want to clear one thing up. We did not know while recording that interview that Wilmer Font would be announced as the starter for tomorrow's game. So Font will make his Mets debut as a starting pitcher. Probably will be able to throw about 70 to 75 pitches. So maybe gets him through four innings if they're lucky, five if they're really lucky. So we'll get a chance to see what this guy has. Anyway, thank you for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, don't forget, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked on Mets.